Hello and welcome to a Friday, April 24th, 2020 edition of On Iowa Politics. This week, COVID-19 and agriculture, voting from home, and reopening Iowa. Hi, I'm James Lynch of the Cedar Rapids Gazette, and with me today are Amy Rivers of the Waterloo Cedar Falls Courier. Good morning, Amy. Good morning, James. Aaron Murphy, Lee Newspaper Statehouse Bureau Chief. Good morning, Aaron. Good morning, James. And Gazette columnist Todd Dorman. Good morning, Todd. Good morning. Reporting on uh, coronavirus-related developments this week got me to thinking about the strange COVID-19 bedfellows that we're seeing. For example, this week, Todd Dorman advised Kim Reynolds to follow the advice of conservative libertarian Americans for Prosperity. And then later in the week, the governor declined to close down food processing plants uh, where the number of COVID-19 cases had spiked, thus preserving union jobs at some of those meatpacking facilities. Strange bedfellows indeed. (laughs) But first up, COVID-19 and agriculture. As the weather warms, Iowa farmers are self-isolating in the tractor cabs as they till and plant. Uh, While it may look like business as usual, there's a lot of uncertainty between the rows. Senator Chuck Grassley compared the situation today, COVID-19 and low commodity prices and the uncertainty in the markets with the farm crisis of the 1980s. There's also worries in food processing plants about the spread of COVID-19. Spotty shortages of some foods are being predicted. Pork may be the next toilet paper. Aaron, uh, you've been looking at how coronavirus is affecting farmers. Uh, What's the impact? How bad is it or how, how bad is it going to get? Well, one of the, one of the problems with this is just to start with, uh, before we get into the specific impacts is this is a something that's happening on the heels of uh, issues that farmers have already been having for the past few years. Um, Commodity prices were already in trouble due to myriad factors. Um, We've written so much in the last few years about uh, corn and soybean prices. Um, The trouble farmers are having here because of trade wars and, and uh, federal ethanol policy and all these things um, that have already put farms through the ringer. And now this happens on top of it. Um, You've got um, dairy farmers that are dunking, dumping milk because there's less demand. Um, poultry uh, farmers having issues because there's less demand. Um, and then you mentioned the, uh, the pork with these, with these breakouts at the uh, processing plants. Some of those plants have temporarily, which obviously again slows demand um, and um, causes problems for those farmers. So, so it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a problem unto its own um, that comes at uh, probably the worst possible time for these farmers. So it's, so it's a real challenge out there right now. Yeah. And it's not just on the farm. Um, Amy, you've been following the situation in the meatpacking plant, especially the Tyson plant in Waterloo. Um, it, it sounds like packing plant workers now uh, have a lot in common with long-term care facility residents that uh, they're sort of just sitting there in the, the COVID-19 um, infection zone. What, mm. What's happening? Yeah, I mean, and, and to echo Aaron's point, this is just across the board. Um, you know, Iowa, we, we sometimes forget is just heads above every other state in terms of pork production. Um, and so when a giant meatpacking plant like Tyson closes even temporarily, I mean, these effects are far reaching. This is a multi-billion dollar industry. But we also have to be reminded that these workers aren't 
expendable, as people have been saying. We've, we've heard politicians of all stripes say this, and they need to be protected. I mean, they're standing. So unlike a residential or a long-term care facility, you can kind of stay in your room with, you know, you're going visited by employees and that's the danger. But in these meatpacking plants, they're standing shoulder to shoulder a lot of times. Um, they're sitting shoulder to shoulder in the lunchrooms, in the break rooms. Um, and, and sometimes it's just really hard to get any sort of social distancing, uh, regardless of dividers that you put up or staggering breaks and, and things like that. So it's really important, I think, to get personal protective equipment like masks, um, like dividers, um, really be diligent about cleaning. I think taking temperatures because otherwise, if they don't, and this is what we've seen, you've got plants that either have high rates of absenteeism and need to close down, um, which was one of the big reasons that Tyson cited for closing in Waterloo, or you've got community pressure because you're seeing all of these cases jump. They said yesterday, Blackhawk County is now up to 622 cases. Um, they're reporting those before the state reports those, so the state has a little bit of a smaller number. But that's, that's really growing, I mean, exponentially, and it's a danger because they all go home to their families. Their family members may work at places like healthcare centers and, and long-term care facilities, and it just sort of is, is this growing thing, and we've got to get a handle on it. Yeah, it's, um, yeah, it's a good point you make about how they go home to their families, and their families are, even if they're, you know, the kids are at home, uh, they're not in school, but uh, spouses may be working elsewhere, um, and it's pretty hard to can contain. Um, or go to the grocery store. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And that's the yeah. other point. I yeah. was on this call with the meatpacking union, one of the largest um, United Commercial Food Workers, and they're talking about that's exactly why you need PPE. If these plants close, the food supply is affected, you're going to start seeing meat shortages. Um, you're going to yeah. start seeing price hikes in the grocery store. Um, and, and that poses its own danger, you know, nationwide, worldwide, you know, Iowa's a huge exporter of pork around the world. This could have far-reaching impacts um, in places like China, where we sell a bunch of this pork. So it, it, it has tentacles everywhere, every time one of these plants closes. Speaking of uh, meat shortages, Todd, uh, we're coming up on grilling season, and now we're being told uh, we might not be able to get our favorite cuts. Um, how, how bad is this crisis going to be? I mean, can, can you grill tofu? Will you? Uh, well, the, the first question, the answer is yes. And the second question, the answer is no. I will not be <laughs> grilling tofu. I'm sure it's delightful. People like it. Uh, you know, I think it, it still remains to be seen. I mean, we're, we're certainly getting a, a fragile our food supply system is when we have this the level of consolidation that we've had in, in agriculture and in, in livestock production and agricultural processing. You now have a handful of companies controlling a lot of that process. And when they're hit like they are now by a crisis, in this case, a health crisis, yeah, suddenly you're gonna, you don't have to have a lot of dominoes fall before the entire system sort of comes apart. So that may be something going down the road that we need to think about. Is, is this really the best way for agriculture and, and you know, for, for all of us to be, to get our food and to produce the food. And are there, are there safeguards and things we could be able to put in place that would make this a, a more diversified system in, in the case, and more redundant in the case of a problem like this? So, I mean, yeah, uh, we might not be able to buy our favorite cuts, but 
you know, we could maybe learn to innovate with some cuts that we hadn't really ever thought of growing before. So, I mean, there's that. I mean, I don't know. I've, I don't know if anyone's in the mood for grilled tripe. <laughs> I mean, we gotta. You know. I tried it, and I'm not in the mood for it. <laughs> <laughs> as, long as, as long as there's no shortage of charcoal, we can. Yeah. Do you, do you think this will uh, lead to more urban hunting and trapping, Todd? <laughs> yeah, that I that I I don't know. I mean, you know, there are there are rabbits in my backyard, and, and morning doves, I hear. So, uh, yeah, I mean, that's always something to think about, right? Yeah, I think I've got a BB gun. Maybe, no. So <laughs> Squirrels are high in cholesterol, though. I learned that from oh. Christmas vacation. Oh, that's true. The movie. That's true. Oh. So. Okay. Well, you know, it, it's interesting, Todd, what you say about, you know, sort of the, the fragility of the food supply system. I mean, we, we're having a lot of fun. There's a lot of humor around, you know, toilet paper shortages. But if people start going to the supermarket and they can't buy, uh, whether it's ground beef or, or you know, chicken or pork chops, whatever, um, I, I think this is going to get really ugly really fast. Um, and, and it's going to well, change. It's, yeah, and if it's... That's, right. Sure. Yep. That's kind of the big, big problem. Yeah, at a time when people are when unemployment yeah. is skyrocketing, any kind of food price increase is obviously going to be a bad mm -hmm. thing. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the way to do something about that might be to uh, cast your absentee ballot from home uh, in the June second primary election. Um, In-person voting will be available, but county and state election officials are encouraging the use of absentee ballots. Uh, Secretary of State Paul Pate mailed out or is mailing out absentee ballot requests to registered voters and auditors in some counties have done the point that you're safer voting from home. Um, in the age of coronavirus, this seems like a no-brainer, but I wonder if we'll see partisan differences in the use of mail-in ballots. Um, Democrats have been all in on mail-in ballots, early voting for some time now, but Republicans uh, have been late to the game. And uh, President Donald Trump is regularly sounding the fraud alarm on mail-in voting. So, uh, Todd, will we see snowflake Democrats casting their ballots from the safety of their homes while uh, Republicans march into the polling places uh, to boldly cast their ballots? Well, you know, I think it, for the primary, we're going to see a lot of people cast ballots by mail. And I mean, yeah, people will, will still show up to the polls, obviously. And I, I'd advise them to maybe bring their own pens so that they can, either that or maybe there'll be Clorox wipes at every, at every uh, voting station. But uh, yeah, I would expect, I, I think, you know, with the, with, the, with the request form being sent out and uh, the Republican Secretary of State emphasizing it and other, and other folks. And, and, you know, I think the, the primary on the Republican side is maybe a less, somewhat less turnout, a, a turnout driver than the one on the Democratic side where you've got the Senate primary. But uh, I, think, I think this will obviously be a record for the percentage of votes cast by mail. Uh, but, you know, and I think, I think a lot of Democrats that are already very used to voting by mail because they, they have done it more often will do it and those numbers will expand. And, and especially with the June election, because it's going to, we don't know where the peak is going to come. There's a lot of con conflicting models and the state model hasn't really been brought to bear yet. And so we may see, we may see a peak that gets moved to right around the election time. So there's going to be a lot of news at that time about things not being good. And so I think a lot of people will 
try to get those ballots in by mail and, and hopefully that process will, will work smoothly. Picking up on that point, Aaron, do you think we'll see a discrepancy between Democratic turnout and Republican turnout? I mean, Democrats have the, the U.S. Senate primary five candidates. Uh, this is, you know, a marquee matchup uh, and, you know, the, the control of the Senate apparently is riding on this election. Uh, whereas Republicans have uh, primaries in the second and the fourth, but maybe not as, uh, as much enthusiasm. Yeah, I think that's probably right as best as we can read the room at this point anyways. Um, and, and a couple of factors working there. Number one, um, those, the second district Republican primary in particular, I, I haven't gotten the sense yet that there's, that's driving a, a ton of interest. Um, it, it, it just kind of feels like Rick Santorum's um, endorsement uh, showing otherwise, but uh, feels to me like Marionette Miller Meeks has been and put herself in a good position in that primary. Um, the fourth district is definitely a little more competitive and interesting, and I think you'll see high interest and, and um, it'll be interesting to see voting numbers in that race but that's just one district uh, throughout the state. The, the Senate primary on the Democratic side is statewide um, and, and very competitive. And as you noted, Democrats are, um, you know, energized about that seat in that race. So I do suspect that um, there'll be a, a little more interest and a little more activity on the Democratic side in the primary for those reasons. Yeah, I mean, in the first district, uh, Republicans really, I mean, there is a, a primary, but, uh, I think we all know the outcome already, so I'm not sure that there's a whole lot of motivation there for uh, Republicans to go to the polls, um, and um, you know, just and probably the same in the third. I don't know that that's a very competitive Republican primary. There right. is some, somebody running against David Young, but again, it doesn't seem like there's a lot of uh, motivation there to go out to the polls other than just to participate. Um, Todd, you mentioned you might want to bring your own pen if you go to the, the polling place. Uh, I, I think it was the, the Blackhawk County auditor told me that he's going to, planning to have somebody at the door to open and close the door as people come and go so that there's only one person touching the door about, you know, uh, catching coronavirus from coming and going for, to the polls. But yeah, it's gonna, I'm sure it's going to be a much different look um, you know, with people walking around with hand sanitizer and, and wipes, wiping down everything. Um, I guess probably this is one, one election where auditors are hoping that turnout, it, it, in-person turnout is not uh, high. Um, yeah, it was, it was something, Jim, you and I have both written about this. It, the, the one quote that really stuck out to me was, um, and not that politics should play into this, but you do hear um, Democratic um, um, politicians uh, talking more about wanting to drive up turnout. And it was striking to me to hear the Democratic auditor of uh, Woodbury County saying flat out, we don't want people to come to the polls on election yeah. day. I mean, yeah. that's how serious they are about this. I mean, they want people to vote, obviously, still, but they, they literally want as few as possible people at the polls on election day. I, I think it's going to be interesting to see, well, not only on the elections, because coronavirus is going to change a whole lot of things, but have going forward because if we have you know record turnout through mail-in ballots I think that's going to change the way election officials approach elections uh, consolidating precincts having voting centers instead of you know 
you know, having a hundred precincts around town, they'll have voting centers where it doesn't matter where you live in, in that county, you can come in and vote. And, and I think we'll see a lot of changes in that regard. Um, and that the, vote, the vote by mail debate, the, the vote by mail debate too, will yeah. will get even more steam if we have a big numbers of turnouts of people who vote absentee or, or by mail. There's a couple states that already do it, already mm -hmm. do it. And if you have a um, huge turnout for those numbers this fall, that that may pick up some steam and become more prevalent across the country. Right. Yeah. A Amy, I'm wondering if, um, you know, one of the things that we can't get our hand uh, handle on right now is sort of voter enthusiasm because, you know, there aren't rallies, there aren't town hall meetings uh, where people right. are showing up. Um, I, I just wonder if the response to the absentee uh, ballot request will give us some sort of an idea about voter enthusiasm. I mean, as we've talked about, Democrats have a, a high profile Senate race, um, but the, the response might give us an idea of uh, who's more enthused, uh, Democrats? Sure, I think it'll not only give people an idea of who's enthused, but who's enthused enough to, to have the presence of mind to vote, you know, in the midst of this. So a lot of people um, uh, could be out of work, could be, you know, looking for something to do and, and willing to put in the time to, to get an absentee ballot. But I mean, historically, we've seen that sometimes that's a tough process for people to, to do as well, especially in a primary election um, where numbers are way down. So I think, you know, Todd and Aaron are right. This will really be... Um, sort of a, a bellwether to see if, if this is going to be something that could be interesting going forward if you see a lot of people voting in the primary election. Um, you know, I think they just opened it up, what, Thursday to, mm -hmm. to be able to request that absentee ballot, and then, you know, they'll open up May 4th, that in-person. That'll be really, really interesting to see if, yeah. if that's something that we can do going forward, because it could really open it up if you've got a lot more people that are more able to cast a ballot from home and, and they're more comfortable doing that and the, and the process has made it easier for them, which it should. I think all auditors should definitely try to make that a lot easier for people. I think there's a question too uh, that, you know, people, if people are at home, if they have time, you know, maybe more people will vote in the primary. Um, on the other hand, if people are discouraged, uh, you know, what was me COVID sort of uh, uh, feeling, whether it was, participation in the primary and, and primaries are traditionally low turnout. So I think it's going to, it, it may be hard to tell. Absolutely. If, if you got a lot of people that are used to primary voting in person too, if you've got older people that are used to doing that, um, it's, it's a little bit tougher. Like um, you mentioned Blackhawk County, uh, Grant Peter had told me that they're installing a doorbell basically at the courthouse, which is otherwise shuttered. People ring that doorbell and then someone lets them in to go upstairs to vote. Is that too wow. cumbersome for people? Is, is that going to put an extra barrier in there? It's yeah. just tough to tell right now. Yeah. Well, of course, this, this is all sort of speculative because uh, we expect that uh, Governor Kim Reynolds may uh, announce later today that uh, Iowa is reopening um, for business. And uh, uh, she said earlier this week, we must get Iowa back to work sooner rather than later. Um, and she said she'll be guided by testing that $26 million testing deal brokered by Cedar Rapids, um, who we didn't know was a coronavirus advisor. But uh, anyway, uh, she's hinted she could open the state by county by county or even by zip codes. If that's her approach, it, it seems 
like rural areas would open first, those 51 counties that have uh, fewer, four or fewer cases of COVID-19. Um, you know, there are five counties that account for more than half of the positive cases, Polk, Lynn, Johnson, Blackhawk, and Muscatine, which also account for about a third of Iowa's population. So Amy, um, what will reop reopening look like if the major population centers remain closed? Uh, shopping, entertainment, uh, centers are in those population areas. What's this going to look like? I don't know that it looks like much of anything. I think you're right that um, a lot of uh, rural Iowa does come to those population centers to do their shopping, um, to go to restaurants, um, to otherwise utilize services. Um, so it, it will be interesting to see if a reopening does happen elsewhere. Um, so if Reynolds, for example, opens up more rural areas and then sees an increase in coronavirus cases, maybe that's good that we only open smaller population places first to do that. Um, otherwise, if you're opening them up and, and you're not seeing um, a spike in cases and you do have adequate testing, so that's gonna be the key, um, not just rather we're reopening them, but not really testing, because we need to know if the virus is circulating. Um, what else will be important is, of course, we're watching Georgia. Um, Georgia is supposed to be opening up, um, but a lot of businesses have also told the Georgia governor they're going to wait off. As much as they want to open up, maybe they're going to hold off because they're worried. They have other concerns besides just, you know, their money. They're worried about spreading this virus or, or having people come and spread it to them. I'm sure employees are, are, you know, not really wanting to come in and be exposed to that if they don't have to be. You know, not everybody thinks like a healthcare worker or a long-term care facility person. They don't necessarily think that their job is, is essential in that way. So it'll be interesting to sort of see both the opening up and then um, the backlash or rather the, the embracing of that opening up and time is just going to tell. We're in an unprecedented time. Okay, this is kind of weird. Just as we mentioned, Ashton Kutcher, uh, email from his agent uh, popped into my inbox. Uh, apparently an explanation of his relationship to these companies that are involved in the Test Iowa project, but uh, so I, 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 I guess he Speaking was paying attention. Weird. Yeah, weird. Okay, <laughs> Todd uh, and Aaron, um, you know, if we start reopening the rural areas, is there going to be a boom in elective surgeries at the hospitals in Manchester, <laughs> Waverly? Uh, the door lines out the doors at the salons in Ida Grove and Bloomfield. Uh, you know, are, are we going to be flocking to small town bars and restaurants to get a taste of something other than our own home cooking? And how about those casinos in, uh, you know, those metropolitan centers of Emmitsburg, Greenfield, Larchfield, will they be reopening? Uh, I'll just say it'll be interesting um, because it, I think you're right that you open up a fourth or half the state, whatever it is, um, the people in the other half that are still closed are probably gonna come your way. Um, and that presents a couple of challenges uh, uh, one that's just kind of more lighthearted in that um, uh, all of a sudden these businesses are going to be overwhelmed by out-of-town um, visitors, people coming from places that can't do those things. But the serious side of that is uh, if people are coming from eastern Iowa where the virus is more widespread to western Iowa where it's not, now you run the risk of um, you know creating new hotspots in places where the virus had been under control. So there's some some very serious uh, considerations and, and, and the, um, if that is how this happens, and you're right, the signs point to uh, the governor doing it that way. Um, 
that are going to be really interesting to watch and follow. And, and it'll be interesting to hear from her leadership. Will she stand up and say, okay, this, this area of the state is open, but we don't want people traveling there. Um, um, if, you're, if you're in Lynn County um, or Johnson County, please don't drive um, over to um, the western part of the state when we open it up. We, we still need you to stay where you are. Um, it, it's going to be really interesting um, how she handles that kind of a rollout. Todd, uh, are you making a reservation at the Cattleman's uh, restaurant over there in Bellman? Todd apparently is no longer I think he's him. muted. Oh. <laughs> I, I, I muted myself because my wife was on a phone call, so <laughs> I forgot all about it. So yeah, I mean that that would be a, that would be a nice day trip over to, to Belmont to enjoy a thick, juicy steak. But uh, maybe the governor is, is considering closing the east-west roads past I-35 or something like that, or maybe they could get Gatso USA, the traffic camera company, to. To, re to retrofit those with, I don't know, they could take the driver's temperature as he drives, he or she drives underneath, and then you know, they can pick up the ones that have a fever. I, I don't know how that would work. It, it seems like it's gotta be statewide or, uh, although, you know, they, they broke this up into regions for a reason, and one of the reasons might be because she, she believes she can reopen Northwest Iowa and, and maybe Southwest Iowa before the rest of the state, but uh, as everyone points out, this, this travel, issue will, will be an issue and you could end up you know, just bringing more virus from the east and filling you know western Iowa small towns with a, a bunch of long hairs looking for a haircut. I've <laughs> yeah, uh, that, that clothes for snowstorms could we just move those to the to the east-west roads for a couple months maybe? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, if it was winter, it would have been a lot easier to keep people out of Northwest Iowa because you, just, you, can't, you can't get there. So, but yeah, now it's easy. Exactly. <laughs> uh, well, speaking of Ashton Kutcher, uh, this week we learned that he was the one that uh, tipped off Governor Reynolds about the Utah-based company Nomi that uh, received a $26 million contract to test islands for COVID-19. So with that in mind, uh, let me ask you, which famous ex-Iowan will be next to lend a hand to the coronavirus recovery in Iowa, and how will they do that? Um, Todd, let's start with you. Oh, well, you know, he's not really an Iowan, but I wouldn't mind if, uh, if Kevin Costner came back and got the ghost team up and running so that we could at least see some baseball while we're stuck in our yes. There'd, there'd, there'd be no threat of, of the ghost team getting COVID. So I, they could play, you know, yeah. any, even within six feet of each other. So it would be fine. All right. Anybody else uh, have a celebrity in mind? Uh, I'll guess, I'll say Brandon Routh will come back as Superman and uh, use his, I don't know, heat vision to kill the virus wherever he... <laughs> he will fly around the earth and, <laughs> and, and turn back time. Turn back yeah. Time. And we'll have time to prepare for the, the pandemic. There you go. There you go. Guys, if, if we're bringing back uh, Iowans that have died, Norman Borlaug already saved the world one time. He's certainly got to go. come back and save Ooh, it. There you go. Yeah. Well, we're in good hands. We're in good hands. <laughs> uh, well, that's it for this edition of On Iowa Politics. I hope it was worth your time. If we're still around next week, we'll do another edition. And, and if you're around... Make sure you find us on iTunes or Stitcher or wherever you find your podcast. Send fan mail to podcast at thegazette.com. 
and you can find us every week on the homepage. So the Quad City Times, Sioux City Journal, Mason City Globe Gazette, Muscatine Journal, Waterloo, Cedar Falls Courier, and the Cedar Rapids Gazette. Imperfect will take us out. If you know an Iowa band or musician who should be on our show, send us a sound file and subscribe to On Iowa Politics on iTunes and Stitcher. For Aaron, Amy, Todd, and our producer, Stephen, I'm James Lynch. Thanks for listening. Stay well. Midwest indigenous MCs respected. From near to far here, we revere the art. Taking charge of the hip-hop scene so we can raise the bar. They're faking hard, we keep it really, really real. Acting like you don't know. Catch my nippy little spiel. Moving swiftly on your heels, but the fact is I'm laughing you. Cause of your half-stepping attitude. Melodramatic crews who never had a clue. Chuckle with a bad excuse, but really, I ain't that amused. You're down with M-I-C, H-A-N-D You're down with M-I-C, H-A-N-D You're down with M-I-C, H-A-N-D Now throw your hands in the air and come along with me You're down with M-I-C, H-A-N-D You're down with M-I-C, H-A-N-D You're down with M-I-C, H-A-N-D Now throw your hands in the air and sing along with me Uh Yeah Cedar Rapids, stands up, hip-hop, right under your nose, keep me on MySpace, I'm old school, I don't fuck with that Facebook shit, peace out, perfect.